They're enlightening and good, and they push us to transparent, humble, real Christianity. It's a mark of maturity to be where Paul is. We're going to look at that today together as we look at real change, part three. Okay, let's take a look at our text. We'll start in verse 7 of chapter 7. That's where we are. Look with me first, highlighting on holiness. Sin comes alive. What then shall we say, verse 7, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Okay, you and I this morning, we are dead to sin and alive to God. We've seen that in Romans. We've seen that we're no longer under the law. We've died in the sight of it. That's what we've been looking at at the end of chapter 6, going into chapter 7, even last week. We're joined to another, Jesus Christ, so we aren't under the law any longer. So how do we understand holiness? Is there no such thing? Is the law bad? No, that's what we're looking at, right? We're just now looking here, and he says, what then shall we say, that the law is sin? No. He's going to show us how sin and law works, even in our daily lives now as believers. This is the how it works part of real change. In a way, he's saying this this morning as we start. If I told you, don't think of an elephant. Don't. Don't think of the long trunk. Don't think of the beggy ears. Don't think of him lumbering down the street one foot at a time. Don't think of that. You can't, right? Well, you just said elephant, so my mind goes to that's what I think because I see it and I know. It's, it's like he's saying that today, and his example he gives is covetousness, right? I didn't even know what it was, he says. But now, and this happened very early with my kids, right? You can see it right away. They're playing, they're happy, and they look over and their, their sister's playing with a different toy. Clunk. I like it! That's what they do. That's what, when we start, we don't know until we look at other people. Oh, wow. Wow, he's got an iPhone 5. I've never had an iPhone 4. I'd like the 5. We, and our heart goes. We don't even know what other... Hey, we're needy people, or even as children, they scream for what we want. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, hey, when you notice that someone else has something, you think, oh, I would like that. And I covet, I want what someone else has. That's sin, the Bible says. And I didn't even know until it was opened my eyes to it, and the law did that. Wow. It happens in daily life all the time when our eyes are open to the fact that we know what sin is and in fact we, we've done it. You know, when we were building the building here and we um, were getting it ready for people to come in and on the back steps there was some dust and stuff. We thought, well, we'll wash that off, you know. I mean, the rain comes in Bellingham and washes stuff off all the time to clean up the parking lot and whatnot, but we were just going to give it a little hand because people were going to come in. We thought that was great. Well, a week later, we get a letter from the city. It says, you're violating the city code because you just sprayed water on your back steps and the water could run down and run into a drain and get into the river and could hurt the fish. 
We didn't know, right? But our eyes were opened to that's not something you can do. Just, oh, we won't do it again. Our eyes are open to it. We see what sin is. That's what the law does. That's one of the functions, right? It opens your eyes to tell you what wrong is. He's actually saying more than that here, right? It's not just that. He's saying not just now I know, but now you and I are tempted to break it. We see that we break it. Sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. See, it'd be like this. There'd be another step saying, well, I think you got to come in. You laughed when I said that. When I said the law of the land is don't squirt down your your little steps out here because it might run into and hurt the fish. So what if we thought that and we thought, oh, you know, that's a silly law. Come on. Everybody. It rains. The rainwater takes the same stuff into the stream. So I could think in my mind, I could think, forget it. Come on. We'll go late at night, 2 a.m. We'll meet behind the church. We'll get out the hose. No one will be looking. We'll squirt it down. We'll make it look nice for service. What am I doing? I'm deciding what is good and bad. And I'm deciding the government thing. Come on, who hasn't done this? 3 a.m., you're driving home. It's late at night. There's no one around. 25 miles per hour is the speed sign. Oh, come. I, I understand that when it's raining and, and there's people around, we should be going slow. But when there's no one here, surely it's okay. Stop calling me Shirley. Because <laughs> we know it's, it's actually not right. right? With the, the law says it. And how much more? That's the government. How much more when the actual law comes from God Almighty? He says this is the way. And so we need to do it, but we rationalize in our mind and we don't get there. And so it produces in me, as I rationalize, rebellion, evil. That's where, and many of us say, yeah, that's, that's where I was. I was a rebel. But Paul's showing this is, this is, this is life. He's using himself. I, I was like this, he says. I was once alive, verse nine, apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Once he said he was alive apart from the law. I, he could be speaking here. Some people think he's talking about Israel and Israel before they got the law was alive. I think he's being personal all the way through. He's saying that once upon a time, he didn't know the law at all. And so therefore he was alive. I think this is a great verse for people saying little tiny infants and kids go to heaven because they don't know right from wrong. So they're alive. But as soon as their eyes get open to sin, and they know what they're doing, and they choose sin. The fruit of sin is death. He's saying, once upon a time, and he was literally didn't know, but, but, but now the commandment came. I knew what God said I should do, and I deviate from it. I see that I do. Verse 10, the very commandment, the promised life, proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through it, killed me. This is the real point he's been getting at. The law came, the commandment came, so sin came alive and you and I died. Paul did too. He thought he could keep it. This is the deception of sin. He said, but actually put a real standard. A real standard. It seemed to promise and said, there's a real good here. If you do this, blessed you will be. And so you think, oh, I will do it. And then you don't. This is our life. 
I thought I could keep and be good. I thought my good scales would outweigh my bad scales. And many people think this outside of the Christian life. This is general experience. This is what I was, says Paul. If you think, well, today maybe you're thinking, well, no, 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 Dax. I do keep the law. Well, then I need to introduce you to a guy from Matthew chapter 19. We won't turn there, but you can look up on your own. He's called the rich young ruler. Remember him? He came to Jesus and he said, what shall I do to go to heaven? And he says, well, tell me about yourself. And the guy says, says, oh, I've done everything since I was a little kid to keep the law. Kind of my parents, I give what I have. I I, I do what I do, the, the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says to him, if you remember, he says, well, one thing you lack, go, sell everything you have, give it away and come and follow me. And it says there in Matthew chapter 19, the man went away, sad because he was very wealthy. Okay, God, Jesus, said to the man, go do this. And the man said, no. Wow. He wouldn't do what Jesus told him to. Even the very best person who's following all the things, the very heart of that is, do what I say, right? That's what the depth of the law is. Do what I command. And, and the man said no to the Son of God. We do it too. Even the very best of us couldn't. The law from the hand of God, it promised life if it was followed. You put your hope in it and bam, death because you didn't do it. So verse 12, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. Okay, so we don't say the law is bad. Me, I'm bad. You, you're bad. But the law, oh, Commandments from God? Holy, righteous, good. The problem is that that holy and righteous and good, it can't be transferred to me. To you. Now, up to this point, you, I hope you're with me. I hope you say, yeah, I, I get all this. Dax, we've been walking through this in Romans. We, this is the experience of my Christian life. I came to the end of myself, and, 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 I, and I died. And so up to this point, no problem. I mean, the law pointed out my sin. I repent. I die in God's the eyes of the law so that I can live in Christ. So now I'm ready to go do the law because I am holy and righteous and good. I was bad, but now I've been made righteous so that I can do good. That's why the next paragraph is remarkably important. Take a look. Here he goes. He puts a floodlight on our flesh here. Verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. So here he's given the purpose of the law. Oh, look, the law was good. What did it do? It opened my eyes, and then it raised my awareness of sinfulness to a high enough spot that what do I do? I repent. Oh, I can't do this. I can't. I got so high, it opened it, realized I can't do it. I got that. 
Identification of sin, condemnation. Me is a lawbreaker. That's me. That's you. That's all of us. But look now, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Wait a minute. Did you catch that? He did something. He switched something. He switched something called tenses. Yeah, I'm getting pretty tense too. (laughs) No, no, not that kind of tense. He switched from the past. This is who I was. This is who I was. I get that. Boy, when you were not a Christian, Paul, I'm with you. You were this way. He just switched to the present. Paul, super apostle. I, now, Paul, Paul, I don't understand my own actions. I don't do what I want. I do the very thing that I hate. Wait a minute. He wants to do good, but he does wrong? Okay. We're getting close to things we don't like to talk about. We're getting close to why people don't come to church. Because they look at you, and they look at me, and they say what? Hypocrite. You say, be righteous, and then you act like that. And you know what? They're right. I think they're right. At least they're right a lot of the times, it seems like. So this is a big problem we should be thinking about. We should be thinking about this. Wow, this is, in dress-up Christianity, what we're trying to do is look as good as we can. So I'm striving so hard to make a good painting of myself that I'm almost holding in front of me saying, this is who I am, good Christian. But inside, if you follow me around on my shoulder, you'd have a different story. I saw you, Dax. I saw you get mad at your kids. I saw you cut that corner. I saw what you did with your tax returns. I saw. In the depth of our heart, we say, we didn't do exactly all that I could have done for Jesus. I see it. Wait a second. Paul does too. What's going on? Verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want... I agree with the law that it is good. So you see here Paul agreeing with the law. He's not saying the law is evil. He's saying the law is good. And actually what I'm doing is affirming the basis of the law. When I look at my own life and I see that I don't measure up, that I covet when I shouldn't covet, I agree that the law is good. It's saying that you shouldn't covet. And there I was coveting. I agree. That's not good. What is he talking about? He's talking about the keeping of rules. The self-effort of anyone, whether you're a Christian or not. If you're in self-effort, apart from the Spirit, in yourself, trying so hard to keep the law, to keep the rules. Do you ever feel this? Do you ever feel a tension that builds at home because you're not getting what you want and finally you just lash out at somebody, at anybody? And then afterwards, if you've gotten angry at your wife or, or, or your kids or something, or your spouse, and, and there you have lashed out, then afterwards, you feel terrible. What do you, you agree with the law. You know what? I, in the moment, there I was going after it, and now I see how bad that is. My heart breaks over it. Over me. 
I hate it, I repent, but why did I do it? So here's what Paul says. It's no longer, verse 17, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Sounds like an excuse, doesn't it? When you sin, do you say, well, I didn't do it. (laughs) Sin did it. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Who's sin? That's your next door neighbor. (laughs) He did it, (laughs) not me. But it's not, that, that, what, what is, is he giving us an excuse? Is that what he's doing? No, he's, it's context to this. Keep going, verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So he's pushing us to a critical understanding of life on earth. That though you have been said to have died to yourself, you still have flesh. He's not talking about your hand, your body. He's talking about you, right? All that you are. The the, the thing that makes you, you. So there's a death here to this idea that God's commands are his enablements. For anyone, believer or not, Paul is speaking of his own life, his own experience, and he doesn't have the perfection that would be enabled by God. He says, in my mind, I see what's right, but I watch myself and I don't do it. Nothing good dwells in me, himself, his flesh. He's careful to say that's his flesh, not his union with Jesus. Uh, but, but here's the thought. He's got to get goodness from outside himself. He, he's not himself, Paul, been made righteous. So now he perfectly keeps the law. He actually says, look, there's nothing good in me, the flesh. It's really important that you as a Christian, that me as a Christian, we don't see ourselves as having been made righteous in the flesh, ourselves. Maybe you don't quite follow me. Say, no, no, I am. I'm a good person. I now do good things because I'm good. God, Jesus, help me. I'm good now. Maybe you think, Dax, yeah, before I was a Christian, I I, I didn't keep the law, but now I do what's right. So turn with me for a minute. We've got a little bit of time. Let's take a look. Turn with me back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus speaking. Right? We know this. We know these things. He says something about anger, for example. Let's look at verse 21. You've heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Yeah, I've never murdered anyone. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. It's never crossed your mind to be angry at anyone? I'm not even talking about the guy who cuts you off on the freeway. I get angry there. That little thing. Someone cuts me off and I'm like, oh, you, ah! I almost hit you. But what about your kids? What about, what about people close to you? And they, they poke you, and in your heart of hearts, you say, you, you do get angry, right? You violated the law of God. See, he's raising it high for us. Verse 27, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. I don't commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You look, you think, you're a sinner. 
Verse 37, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. So let's go through my week. I'd forgotten to do something, and someone said, hey, will you make sure this gets done? Oh, yes, yes, I promise. Wait, Dex, you promise? That's more than yes. Yes, I promise is an oath in that sense, right? Yes, yes, I really mean it this time. That's not yes or no. That's trust me, my flesh. I want you to think well of me. I know I didn't do it before, but I, by the very hand of God, I will make sure that I go out and do it this time, that I might be seen as good by you and a faithful and hearty pastor. That's what I'm doing, shorthand. I promise. Do you see that, that we think, oh, these are little things. Oh, oh, no, no, no. You're breaking the law of God. I do it as a Christian. I, I, I'm going to heaven. I testify to you. My life is hidden in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to heaven. I believe I'm going to heaven. So what's with not keeping the law, Dax? Not what, what's with doing what's not right? Well, first, let's get it clear. I agree that I shouldn't, right? I agree with the law that it's good. I say in my head, I get it. You know what? My yes should be yes and my no should be no. I shouldn't look and lust. I shouldn't get angry ever. I agree, Lord. I agree. So you're with me there. But then I have the reality. And maybe none of those touched you. Maybe you were like, oh, no, 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 no. Dax, I do all those. I have pity on you that you struggle with these things, but not me. I'm a good Christian. Okay, so turn with me to Matthew 22. Just one more. Matthew 22, and look at verse 36. This is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they talk to Jesus, and they say to Jesus, Teacher, chapter 22, verse 20, 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? There it is. You want to follow the law? I want to follow the law. Here it is. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is it. Okay, you hear the alls, right? All your heart and soul and mind. Everything that you are, love the Lord your God. And you say, I know what I say. Help. Because I get into, I want stuff for me. I get into fear of man. Or, or I get into wanting my, my comfort, not God's, I, I see it all over that I'm imperfect. And whenever I'm imperfect, I'm not loving the Lord like my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. I fail as a Christian. You do too. In your flesh, let's be clear. I'm talking about your efforts to make yourself that. We do, we agree. So here we have, we have an inner agreement with the law that we should love the Lord with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength, that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. We agree. It is good. It is right. It is, oh, that we all might do that. And you and I, we don't. And Paul says he doesn't. This is, this is amazing. This is the reality of the Bible being transparent and open and honest about what truth and reality is. It's very disturbing, though, because this is how I think. This is how I think. I'm trained from a young age. If I want to learn to make free throws, what do I do? I start from a young age, and I take free throw shots. And guess what? Over time, what happens? I get better. 
I work at it, I get better, and when I get better, finally, I'm a 98% free throw shooter. Why? Because I took 10 million free throw shots. That's how the world works in everything. Work hard, you'll get ahead. And then I have this Christianity that just turns that upside down, and it says, when you work on it so hard, what you're going to do is find that you miss all the time. I don't like that. I want to make it. That's, again, me talking about me. I, do you hear all the eyes? I want me to make it. Me, 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 me. And so the, the reality is, is that the law drives me, even though I practice, even though I agree that it's good, even though I keep trying. I don't stop trying because I know that it's good. I know that it's right. So there I am trying the best I can to make the shots, and they clink, and they clink, and they clink. What do I do? That's the thing that you really need to get today. What do you do? Because one line of Christian thought says, keep trying, you'll get better. The other line of Christian thought says, you need help. You're not going to. He's still going. So verse 19, look. I think trying harder must be the issue. The issue's not that. But look, for I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He continues to point to this dichotomy in those who desire to be good. I believe these are Christians, but it could be anyone who desires to follow the law. He's talking about basic human experience. Christian or no? If you want to follow God's commands, you'll notice that you keep on doing evil. That's your flesh. Practice will not help your flesh. It doesn't mean that you stop wanting what what is good, that you stop wanting to do good. It means that you're desperate for help. And it seems that you are agreeing with God on what actual goodness and holiness is. We're not dumbing down. We're not watering down holiness here. We will not do it. We will not allow ourselves to get away with dressing up Christianity. If you put on the right clothes, if you do a few of the right things, that somehow then you're holy and good and you're set for heaven. What haven't I talked about at all? Jesus. Nothing about Jesus. There's a floodlight on our flesh. And simply to say that these things are true. Maybe you live here all the time. I hope this resonates at least with you, that the Bible takes things seriously, that Paul is saying things that are real. I live here, so do you. You're anxious, you are. Many of you and me too. We worry when the Bible says don't worry. I worry. I worry about my kids. I worry if they're going to be okay. I, I, I worry about enough food to eat. I worry about being a good provider. I worry, I worry. The Bible, doesn't it clearly say be anxious for some stuff? No, nothing. I do. I have a God who owns the heavens, and I worry whether I'm going to eat. I've been forgiven of sin that reaches to the stars, my sin, and I scream at my child when they sin. I told you not to do that! Dax, what are you doing? 
We should have victory. We must have victory. So I want to do the 12 steps enabled by God to not commit sin and just choose it. There's a path to change. There is a path to change. This isn't it. That's what Paul is saying. Trust in yourself as a primary means to keep the law so that God will say, well done, is not the primary means of growth for the Christian. It's not real change. It will end in your failure. And hopefully what happens is more and more you see as you do this, because we all still do. We're from the world. We have flesh still. We see more and more that our efforts for self-righteousness are sinful. Opens our eyes to our sin. So we need a deliverer for daily living. That's this deliverer from death in verse 21. So look there. So I find it to be a law when I want to do right. Evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Hey, he's speaking of his own experience. Not before and after salvation here, but all the way through. Inside, I delight and I desire to be close to God. Haven't you ever had that moment where you just say, oh, maybe it's in your quiet time when you're reading in the morning and you read some amazing passage. Maybe you looked at Isaiah 9, 6 this morning and say, oh, Lord, thank you. I'm so, I have this moment of, ah. Then you go to work. And you continue to fall into sin. There are no perfect people. So are Christian hypocrites, are are there Christian, yes, you're a hypocrite if you define it that way. But in reality, the piece that makes Christians not hypocrites is this idea that is true Christianity. We sin. I'm not perfect. Don't you dare look at me and think, oh, I'm being perfect and you're not. So that takes me away from hypocrisy of what I am is transparent. Paul doesn't seem to think that he doesn't sin. You see, the gospel's not there. But this is the great tragedy of our lives. This is the tragedy of our continued life, isn't it? This is the tragedy that here I am. I'm a Christian. I I know. I see what's good. You should be here. This should resonate with us. Here's Paul. I see it. I continue to live. I desire to do what's good. I desire to be like Jesus. I desire to be perfect with him and to love him with all that I am what wretched man I am I don't do it it's interesting those are Paul's words right verse 24 wretched man that I am I am right now who will deliver me from this body of death you see this is what we need This is what you need. This is what you need this morning. Deliverance from the body of death. You say, Dax, you've forgotten Romans 6. We are dead. I know. I'm in a body that's been declared dead, but that keeps raising its head all the time. So my body... And I'm not talking about my physical body. I'm talking about my sense of me. I'm talking about my desire to lord it over everyone. My desire to have just a little bit for me. My desire to not be totally consumed with Christ, but to be consumed with Christ and me. Can't believe you'd tell me that my daughter runs around the church. What are you saying about me? 
See, I go there. I go there in my heart. But oh, you're right. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. My body still wants itself to be king in different ways now. I want to be seen as the most righteous. Think about that. If it's all Jesus' righteousness that's been given to me, how can I be more righteous? Well, I can be, you can think of me as the best. (laughs) That's your flesh. I want to be seen as wise, but if Jesus is wisdom, how can I be more? I want to be at ease. I want to be rich. But if I've been given heaven, how much richer can I be? All of these just point out the struggle of sin, even for the Christian. Who will save me from myself? Who will save you from yourself? Thankfully, there's verse 25. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our Lord will. This is the other way. This is the only way. This is the way of humility, of not trusting in myself. Ever again, my only hope is Jesus Christ. So then, it says, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. See, we're going to be there until heaven comes. We have this thing called the promise where Jesus Christ has promised us and his promise is so sure it's reality that we who believe in him will be in heaven forever. There will be no more sin. There will be no more tears. There will be streets of gold. See, the new earth is is like clear glass that somehow was gold. There's stuff we can't even imagine in our minds, but you know what? It's coming. Perfection is. Until we get there, we live here. Serving the law of God with my mind with my flesh serving the law of sin, we will be here. I gave you a nice summary quote there from B.B. Warfield. There is nothing in us or done by us at any stage of our earthly development because of which we're acceptable to God, right? We must always be acceptable for Christ's sake or we will never be accepted at all. Our need of Christ doesn't cease with our believing, nor does the nature of our relation to him or to God through him ever alter, no matter what our attainments and Christian graces or our achievements and behavior may be. It's always on his blood and righteousness alone that we can rest. See, that's life. We're going to get there next week in chapter 8. But as we close, I, I want you to see today that Paul just got very personal with the law. You see that? Paul just got transparent. If he can do it, if Paul can do it, we can do it too. Maybe you're living, saying you're a Christian, agreeing with and desiring what is good and true, but you're hiding. You're a dress-up Christian. Unwilling to acknowledge that you still have flesh. Look again. None of us is better than Paul. If you're a Christian, your eyes are open to the depths of your sin and you're no longer trusting in your own efforts. Doesn't mean you don't want good. We do. Knowing we've died means there's no more us. We have a different hope, Jesus Christ. We'll see what that looks like in the spirit. It starts next week. But change starts here. Because what does this do? This law that we're in that constantly pokes at me in my flesh, that continues to open my eyes to my sinfulness, where we go this morning is here. Humility, right? I cannot, I never have been able. 
transparency. I do not. I only have one hope. Repentance, right? Now, now not perfection, but agreeing with my sinfulness. If you want to show me that I sin, I will agree with you. Receiving forgiveness, right? This is hard for us. No, 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 I don't need it. Yes, you do. Oh, we need to receive that, that we're forgiven. To see that our ground is really Jesus Christ. Knowing this morning that we're in the flesh until we're glorified. And so we will continue to struggle against sin. There's only one way to get better. Get your eyes on Jesus. Believe his promises of your sanctification, of your adoption, of your coming, completed glorification, abiding in Jesus, trusting in his good deeds, looking to his righteousness. Only then do we actually bear fruit. You're going to get to heaven, and the things that Jesus will say to you, look, oh, I used you, child. I don't think it's going to be me up here. Everybody looking at me, feeding my flesh. Oh, Dax, you're such a great guy. It's going to be you out on the street somewhere giving someone what? A cold glass of water, right? I didn't do anything, Jesus. Yeah, I used you in your lowliness. Let's go there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in this text to show us the truth of our flesh any life that we think we have without your spirit, Lord. Help us to see that our only hope is you. And Lord, again, we come back to knowing your ways are best. Forgive us our self-righteousness, Lord. We desire to get our eyes on you, to more and more live in your promises, Lord. To let that, as we abide, bear much fruit in us. Lord, we desire to do what's good. We ask you, Lord, that you might do good through us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. One of the ways we remember that, that our only good is in Christ, is by communion. We call it the Lord's Supper. Jesus established it just before he died for our sins. We're going to do that today before we end. So the ushers are going to come and they're going to pass out the elements. It's just a little bit of juice, a little bit of cracker. Hold on to it. If you're a Christian, you need to do this this morning. I don't care how bad your sin was this week. If you're not a Christian, this does nothing for you. So don't bother. We won't judge you. But if you know Jesus Christ, I plead with you. Take the elements. Remind yourself again. Your only hope is in him. Pray. Take some time. And we'll come back together as a body and take it together.